I want to preach a message this morning on this subject on the signs of a backslider. The signs of a backslider. Now, I'm not going to preach all the points that are in chapter number two, before God lays out from chapter two all the way into the first five verses of chapter number three, 16 different indictments against the nation of Israel concerning backsliding. When you think about this word that God has, Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, he preaches a series of 12 different sermons to uh, the nation of Israel. And uh, if you study the book of Jeremiah, you can find these 12 sermons. And each one of these sermons are noted by this phrase here, or a phrase similar to this, that the word of the Lord came unto me. Moreover, the word of the Lord came. And you'll find that in verse number one here as we see that this is a spirit spiritual word is the Bible says moreover the word of the Lord came to me saying now that is this is the first sermon of 12 that Jeremiah will preach to this nation here and we find that this is a spiritual word and I want to say that I'm thankful that God still has a spiritual word for us uh, in this day and time amen I do not believe in prophets or or revelations or visions that people claim in this day and time because uh, we have the word of God and this is our spiritual word. If a man is going to have a word from God, I promise you it will come out of the word of God. Amen? And it will line up with this book. And so uh, there is a spiritual word. And then it's a spoken word. Notice the Bible said in verse number two or verse number one, moreover the word of the Lord came unto me saying. Amen? And I circled that word there saying because uh, uh, we find here that God's word is a spiritual word, but God's word is a spoken word. In other words, uh, uh, the Bible is not not meant to be hid, and the Bible is not meant to be dark. Uh, The Bible is meant to be revealed. Amen? It's meant to be spoken. It's meant to be explained, and it's also meant to be understood. And I think preaching should always be in a form and fashion that uh, everybody in the building can understand that. Can I get a witness right there? And so we see this is a spoken word, but then I see it as a specific word. Notice what he says in verse number two. He says, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee and the kindness of thy youth. Amen. Now what is God saying in verse number two and verse number three? God is being very specific in what he wants to say to the nation of Israel. And what God is saying to this nation here is that he is talking about a time when Israel as a new bride and in her younger days, when that she was anxious and she had a desire to play Please the Lord. Amen. Uh, When she was called out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea, uh, there was that period of time uh, uh, that Israel had a desire uh, to follow in the ways of God. Isn't that the way it is when a person really gets saved? Uh, uh, When they first get saved, they may not know all there is to know about being saved, uh, but there's an excitement, uh, there's an anticipation, and my friend, there's a desire uh, to follow and to serve God. Amen. In other words, I think when a person gets saved, I believe the Bible teaches this, that when a person gets saved, I believe at that moment of salvation, I believe there is a surrendered as what they can ever be in all their life. Now, I'm not saying that they can, we cannot surrender and we know that throughout our life. But in that moment of salvation, you're never more surrendered than what you are at the moment you get saved. 
Because you fully give all to God. You, you surrender all and you come and you, you agree with God against yourself. So it's at that moment that there's that love for God. That's what is so evident in salvation is that there is a love for God like there never has been before because now you're saved and you're surrendered and you want to follow God. And I believe it's the love of God that my friend constrains us and compels us and helps us to serve God. Amen. In other words, you can have all the standards and separation and I'm for every bit of that. But the Bible said to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter two, a church that was working and serving and busy and doing everything that they were supposed to be doing, he said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Do you know sitting in our churches today, there are people toting King James Bible, Bibles and, and they're coming to church and they got the right haircut and they sing the right songs and they know the right lingo and they're, they're faithful to church week in and week out. But the problem in most people's hearts today is that they have a love problem. The Bible said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying that we ought to not love anything or anybody or any uh, any uh, pleasure of this life any more than what we love Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, God will walk over a whole lot of mess and mistakes to help somebody that will love him. Amen. And the Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. The Bible teaches us that if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. Isn't that right? And what I'm saying this morning is is that when we get our relationship with God right and we fall in love with Jesus again, and remember, you've heard it said many times and I've said it many times from this pulpit, uh, but for the uh, sake of reminder this morning, Banks Havner said it so well when he said revival is simply falling in love with Jesus all over again. And friend, what would solve 90% or maybe 99% of our problems today in our hearts and in our homes uh, and even in our our churches uh, is that we, if we would get our relationship with God where it needs to be at and if we would put him supreme uh, and love him with all of our heart and love him with more than anything else, uh, we would have revival in just an instant. Amen. You see the problem with revival this morning is not necessarily God getting everything out of our life and that, that can be a result of it. But the problem with revival today is God just getting our heart. When God just getting you know, when God gets a man's heart, guess what? He gets everything with it. When he gets a young lady's heart, he gets everything with it. You ain't got to prod somebody to be faithful to church that loves Jesus. Can I get a witness this morning? You ain't got to prod somebody to say, man, that loves Jesus. You ain't got to prod somebody to testimony, give a testimony in church that loves Jesus. You ain't got to stand over somebody and lord over them and make them do right if they love Jesus. You ain't got to ask them to pass out tracts and to tell people about Jesus when they love Jesus. You ain't got to encourage them to read their Bible and spend time in prayer when they love him. I'm telling you, love covers a multitude of sins. And when we love God like we're supposed to, everything else will fall in place in life because we're seeking God. But when we drift from God, that love relationship begins to change 
and everything easily unravels. The outside may look the same, the conviction standards and doctrine may all be right, but our heart can be as dead and be as dry and our worship means nothing when we give our heart to other things. And so many times the devil deceives us by distracting us into other areas of life. It may not be that they're necessarily sin, but if they grab our attention and they grab our heart and they consume us to the point that we no longer love him like we're supposed to love him, then it becomes a sin in our life. Amen. And I'm never going to preach all these this morning. I'll just preach till I'm done. Amen. Or I'll preach till you're done. One of the two. Hallelujah. What I notice in this text this morning is that he lays out some indictments here uh, concerning uh, uh, the signs of backsliding. You say, preacher, what is the signs of backsliding? Well, I see in verse number five that one of the signs of backsliding is when you start living a vain life. Amen. Notice what he said in the latter part of verse number five, uh, talking about their iniquity. He said, they walked after vanity and art become vain. Is that not a lot of people today sitting in the house of God? When you think about the direction of their life, sure, they go to church and sure, they listen to old time preaching. But when they walk out them doors, what are they doing when they walk out them doors? How are we living our lives from Sunday to Sunday? What are we engaging in? What are the affairs of our life? What is it that we're seeking after? What is it that drives us in this life? Are you walking after vanity? Are you living your life for something that has absolutely no eternal value whatsoever. You see this morning, there's nothing wrong with having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with having a nice home. There's nothing wrong with God blessing us financially. There's nothing wrong with enjoying recreation and entertainment to a point that we're not drunken on that. Somebody say it, man. To the point, but I'm telling you when that becomes your life, then your life is vain, friend. My life is vain when I give myself. You say, well, preacher, how do I know if I'm more given to that than I am the things of God? Very simply put this morning, if you can get excited about anything, if you can be dedicated to anything, if you can be more committed to anything other than you can serving God and living for Jesus, then friend, that's vanity this morning for me to be consumed with something other than living for God. It could be cutting the yard. It could be man manicuring the yard and there's nothing wrong with keeping a nice yard and keeping a good yard but you know what sometimes you just got to let a few things go I'm not talking about letting it grow so high Uh, you got to bushwhack your way to the door I'm not talking about letting everything go undone Uh, but I'm saying listen when one sprig of grass uh, uh, gets out of place uh, uh, you're Johnny on the spot to take care of it uh, uh, but you let your prayer life go uh, you let your Bible reading go uh, uh, you're more encouraged uh, and you're more excited about tidying up the other things of life uh, than you are your spiritual life. Friend, that's vanity this morning. It has no eternal value. Amen. There's not a person in this building that's more OCD than what I am. I'm telling you, I can't even stand for this to be turned like that. Amen. Amen. I don't know why, but I feel the need to do that every single time. Y'all pray for me. Amen. 
And I wish I wouldn't have told you that because now you're going to be noticing that. But can I tell you, that's just the way I live my whole life. I think when you open a drawer, everything ought to be folded. Everything ought to look neat and nice and neat. That's just, I mean, that's just the way that I am. And But I'm, I can't help that. But sometimes, you know what? You just got to let a few things go. Amen. Sometimes you can't be so consumed with the things of this world, my friend, that it over consumes you with the things of God. Amen. Now, I'm not telling you if you come by my house, you ain't going to find something messed up. I had a, a neighbor come over one time and he kept everything manicured. He said, I noticed your grass is getting a little bit high. I said, yes, sir. I said, I've been gone about three weeks. And uh, I know what he was saying. I said, now listen. I said, if you feel the burden to cut my grass... I said, you cut it anytime you want to. I said, I promise you, I won't be a, I won't be upset one bit. Was well, the last time he ever come over and said anything to me about my grass? Amen. How to get rid of them real quick, won't it? Uh, but you know what? I didn't like it no more than he was. Uh, but I wasn't home none. Amen. Uh, and when I got home on Saturday and we had visitation and I had to have time to pray and I had to have time to read my Bible and get ready for Sunday, it just took priority over that. Isn't that right? I'm just simply saying, friend, we can't spend our life walking in vanity. Hey, listen, there's some women, they'll spend two hours in front of a mirror. Some of you teenage girls, you might as well let it go. An extra hour ain't gonna make you any prettier than what you are right now. You might as well go spend some time in prayer. If you spend more than 45 minutes in front of the mirror, and listen, you're under 25 or you're under 30 years of age, friend, that's vanity. Somebody's say amen. Boy, I got myself in trouble there. So I might as well quote it one more time. Amen. I'm telling you, listen, uh, it, uh, listen, you girls, uh, uh, you need to be worried more about the inside than you are the outside. Amen. And you boys, listen to me. Uh, you better marry a girl, uh, listen, based on the content, not the container. Amen. Uh, uh, don't listen. I know you don't want to marry an ugly girl, uh, uh, but you'd be better off with an ugly wife uh, uh, than you would some woman. Amen. Uh, uh, that'll leave you high and dry. That's so much in herself uh, and doesn't have an ounce of spirituality. And you young ladies, You'd be better off marrying some young man. Listen, he may listen. He may have to wear glasses. Listen, he may be losing his hair in the middle. Listen, listen. He may not have listen that big muscular physique. But there's more to life than what you see on the outside, Amen. And I'm not against looking nice. You know that. I appreciate my wife. Always took good care of herself, and I thank God for that. But I want to tell you something. There's more to life than a lot of vain living. Getting on the getting on the cell phone. I watch teenagers. The teenagers shouldn't even have a cell phone. Somebody say amen. And I watch some of these teenagers, and this is all they do. It's a thousand wonders they don't have sunburn. They got the they got that phone lighting their face up so much. Amen. And they walk around and they bump into things, and they don't know how to do anything in life. But this right here, you know what I'm talking about. Hey friend, listen, when the strongest, when the strongest muscle in your body is in your thumb, there's something wrong. Isn't that right? 
I'm talking about, listen, they can text faster than you can blink your eyes, but they don't know how to start a lawnmower. They don't know how to run a weed eater. They don't know how to wash clothes. They don't know how to do, they don't even know how to boil water. Amen. They think everything's supposed to be microwaved. They don't know how to cook. They don't know how to keep house. They don't know how to do anything. All they know how to do is run an electronic. Amen. I'm telling you, listen, friend, it wouldn't hurt some of you teenagers to learn how to write a letter and send it to somebody every now and then instead of sending a text. Somebody say amen. Some of us adults are just as bad. Isn't that right? I'm talking about living a vain life. Can't function. I had a man ask me one day, he said, man, you don't never answer your phone. Now, how many of y'all believe that? Raise your hand. Let me take a good look at it. Come on, be honest. You're in church. You ain't gonna make me mad. One time, Chris Thomas, is all I ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> he said, man, this preacher said, you don't never answer your phone. I said, I do too. I said, you spend a day with me and you'll see me on my phone. And we went to a meeting together. And by the end of that day, he said, I don't see how you do that. I said, do what? He said, man, he said, you're constantly texting or calling somebody. I said, yes, but I can't call and text everybody because I wouldn't get nothing done. I mean, you got to pray at some point, don't you? I just refuse. See, say, preacher, I need to get, in hold, of, get in hold of you. Leave me a message. I'll call you back. May not be in five minutes, but I will call you back. Amen. Call my wife. That's what 90% of the people do anyway. They call her and say, hey, can you, get, can you get in touch with preacher? And I mean, sometimes she can, sometimes she can't. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about life is so vain. Isn't it amazing how things will just arrest us if we'll let them? Brother, I just refuse to live my life the way this world demands it to be lived. Amen. There's just some things in life. I don't care if it is the fad. I don't care if the whole world is doing it. You can chalk me up old-fashioned. You can chalk me out of, uh, out of kilter. You can chalk me not with a fad. That's okay. Uh, listen, I'm just not lining up with everything the world says we have to line up with. Uh, I'm telling you, there are some things in life more important than what the world says. Amen. I'm talking about one of the signs uh, of being backslid is vanity, friend. Uh, I'll never preach all these. Just let me give you another one. Amen. I want to say another sign of being backslid is when you forget the goodness of God. Amen. You can take the time to read it when you go home, but in verse number six and verse number seven, God reminds them through Jeremiah of all that he had done for them, but they're constantly asking the question, where is the Lord? Amen. Where is the Lord? You know what the problem was? They had forgotten how good God had been to them. Amen. Now, if you stop and think about how good God has been to us, you'd never miss a service. You'd never not pay tithes. Amen. If you stop and thought about how good God's been to us, we'd never complain. We'd never gripe. We'd never grumble. Man, we got it better than anybody on planet Earth. And then it seemed like American people are the most unpleasant, the most unappreciated people you have ever seen. I'm telling you, friend, when this World War II generation is gone, uh, you're going to see a bunch of spoiled brats uh, that are rising up like we have never seen before. They think living in America is a privilege and not a right. Amen. They've never had to purchase nothing themselves. They've never had to fight for nothing. They've never had to shed blood for nothing. Uh, they've never built factories. Uh, they've never fought wars, most of them. Uh, they 
they think they ought to give everything ought to be handed to them on a silver platter and when they don't get what they want they march in the streets and they bust windows and they set things on fire and they think everything ought to be the way they want to hey it's that generation that always got a trophy whether they won or whether they lost everything was handed to them they were taught everybody's winners and nobody's losers hey friend that's not reality amen You know, you're to lose sometimes. You can't win all the time. And y'all not get a trophy when you lose. Somebody say amen. And first place ought to be this size. And second place ought to be this size. And third place ought to be this size. And they'll not even be a fourth place trophy. What are you getting a trophy for when you come in fourth anyway? Amen. Isn't that right? Come on now. Say amen. I'm telling you, we're raising a bunch of brats in this generation. And the reason I'm preaching on it is because it's in our churches today. Amen. I'm telling you, if everything don't go the way they think it ought to go in church, you know what they do? They stick their lip out and they roll their tongue out and they go home blowed up like a big toad frog. Amen. Because something didn't go the way they thought it ought to go. Hey, friend, listen. You know what you need to do? You need to go home and you need to get over yourself and you need to come back to church with a little small syndrome and realize how good God has been to every one of us by just let us be in the house of God. Amen. Isn't that the truth? Man, I ought to be in hell. And preachers ain't no better. I'm telling you, I go to preachers meetings, I just about quit. I don't even hardly go to them no more. I get depressed. I do. I go to preachers meeting and I hear more gossip, complaining, backbiting and fussing and arguing than I ever heard in a Baptist church. Am I telling the truth, Brother Jack? And they sit around and eat lunch and they, and they eat lunch at God's people's fed them and fixed for them and they complain about their churches and how, I'm telling you, listen, everything ain't gonna go perfect. I just quit going to. If I go, I'm not gonna eat lunch most of the time, I can tell you that much. You say, why? We've forgotten how good God's been to us. Generation wants to spit on the American flag and not stand for the national anthem. I ain't got no use for that mess, Amen. Too many men gave their lives and fought on the battlefield. I tell you what they ought to do. They ought to put every one of them on a boat if they won't stand for the national anthem. Hey, that's our flag. Amen. It means something. Hallelujah. And if you won't stand for the national anthem, amen, you ought to get on a boat and go to Russia somewhere and live behind the Iron Curtain. Amen. I guarantee you that outfit would stand up again making $14 million a year and won't even stand out of respect. I don't care what they they say, amen. And I don't care what color they are, neither. Brother, I'm telling you, listen, there was a time when people would put you in jail for something like that. They'd string you up for something like that. Somebody say, amen. I'm telling you, listen, they'd burn a cross in your front yard. I'm not a white supremacist. Don't nobody misunderstand me. But I'm telling you, that flag and that Bible and our arms meant something to this country. But we got a bunch of spoiled brats today. Listen, they've been fed everything from the lunch line. Hey, listen, I I went to public school one day and I looked at the lunch line. I said, right there is what's wrong with young people today. Amen. You don't know why young people weigh 350 pounds and can't hardly move their fingers. Because when I went to school, Brother Ronnie, I'm telling you, you didn't get options. 
Every lunch lady when I went to school hated young people. And you had to have a mole on your chin to be a lunch lady. I'm telling you the truth. They wore them white robes, you know, and white get-ups. They stood there. Their arms was the size of Lou Ferrigno, you know. You remember that? Son, you went through the lunch line. You didn't even talk to them. You thought you was in the army. And they put stuff out there. Some of it, I didn't even know what it was. It looked so disgusting. You put they come through there and they put it on your plate and they, they slopped it on there and you didn't talk to them. You got a carton of milk and you went and sat down and you did your best to eat it. Amen. Watch America. I wish we was back to. Now they go through and they got options. Amen. I'm telling you, listen, I remember every principal, they carried a paddle in their back pocket and it had holes drilled in the back of it and it had the names of all their victims on it. Amen. Don't you wish them days was back once again? Son, they walked tall down the hallway and when you saw the principal coming, listen, you stood at attention, amen? Because if you moved the wrong way, they lobbed to turn you around, listen, military style, and say, put your hands on those cinder block walls and light your world up, amen? I'm telling you, free up. Listen, you know what else I remember? I remember high schoolers, amen? Every boy drove a pickup, amen? Had a 12-gauge shotgun in the back window and nobody ever thought about turning it on somebody. Hey, nobody was on Prozac. Uh, teachers didn't worry. Uh, listen, they wasn't stressed out. Uh, uh, they was taught decency and respect uh, and character and they raised men and boys uh, and they raised young ladies and girls uh, and would to God we could get back to it again. We're in trouble today. I'll tell you the problem is we have forgotten what God has done for us. You see, the problem's not with the public schools. Problem's not with the White House. Why do you think they hate Trump so much? Because he remembers that America that I just described to you. The news media and everybody else. I don't swallow it hook, line, and sinker, but I, I didn't fall off a turnip truck yesterday, I can tell you that much. You know why? Because this liberal and this younger generation, these millennials. Let me tell you something about millennials today. They ain't got no common sense. And they don't have no respect for gray-haired people. He's talking the other day about how millennials like to check everything out. I'm going to tell you what millennials need to do. They need to look at the World War II veterans. And they need to sit down, Brother Moore, and have a long conversation and learn to listen to people that are older than what you are. I'm going to tell you, if that man right there told me to do something, I'd do it. That's exactly how I feel about it. Amen. Amen. If that man right there told me to do something, I'd do it. If this man right here told me to do something, I'd do it. You say, why would you do that? You're the pastor. They're older than I am. Yes, sir. I'll tell you, the, the salvage of my whole life has been the wisdom of older people. <laughs> They've helped us a long life's way, haven't they? And these millennials think they know everything. And they won't listen to nobody. There's something to be said about gray hairs, isn't there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Boy, I'm, I'm right on target, Brother Terry, but I'm way off the sermon. I've only got 14 more points, so y'all... <laughs> I'm just telling you this morning, we need to get back to God. We need to remember what God's done for us. You remember where God found you? 
You remember the Seth pool of sin he pulled you out of? You remember how low down and sorry you was? You say, I was saved off a church pew. I don't care. You still as low down and sorry as the rest of us. Stooped in religion. Drying up, dying in your sin. Couldn't help yourself. God could have looked the other way and saved you somebody else and let us all went to hell and he had still been God. Because of mercy and grace, somehow, somewhere, some way, God in tender compassion and love wooed us to the foot of the cross, dealt with our heart. Let us hear the gospel, amen. Came to where we was, rescued us, saved us, thank God. And we ought to be grateful the rest of our life. You glad you saved, Ben? Been a different week for you? Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? That's what God will do for you. And it took just as much grace. It took just as much grace to save this little fella right here. Amen. Hey, I don't know how tall he is. Let me look at you real good. It took as much grace to save this little, about three and a half, four and a half, four, probably three and a half young man took as much grace to save him as it'd take to save a big old brawly man to walk down this aisle. Y'all believe that this morning? I'm going to tell you something. It ain't the size of their body. It's the soul that's on the inside. I don't care who you are this morning. I don't care how you lived your life. I don't care where you're at this morning. I don't care. Listen, you, you say, preacher, I'm too far to be saved. No, nobody's too far this morning. It takes as much grace. But where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. I'm glad God's got grace. That'll save anybody that'll come. Anybody that'll call. God has got the grace. That'll save you this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He'll save you if you'll come. But you've got to come like a child. Hey, backslider, can I tell you something? When you get away from God, the first sign of backsliding, you know where it starts at? It starts right here. In your mind. You know how to know if you're backslid? I'll tell you in one second how to know if you're backslid. If all you ever do is complain, you're backslid. If you gripe, you grumble, and you moan, and you're all the time negative about everything and down on everything, chalk it up this morning. You're too far from God. If it's everybody else's fault but yours, you're backslid this morning. Either that or you've never been saved. Amen. But a backslid person will have experienced true joy at one time in their life. I wonder tonight or this morning as we stand. Many, many other things in that text. You can read it later. I'll tell you one thing I don't want to do this morning, and I've done it. I'm not lying to you this morning. One thing I don't want to be, oh God, help us. I don't want to live my life backslid. Friend, you can live it in this pulpit. You can live it in those pews. You can teach Sunday school backslid. I'll tell you, when you backslide, it'll cost, it'll cost us. You'll lose everything good in your life. Devil don't mind you going to church. He don't mind you toting the Bible. 
He sure don't want you to move closer to God. You sit in a good church till you get to the place one day you no longer even appreciate the church. Watch people sit in church for years never do business with God. Get away from God, get out of church. And never, never come to the realization that it's them. It's always everybody else. Don't let that be you this morning. There ought to be shame, there ought to be humility in our life. How about it this morning? Are you backslidden? Do you need to come to this altar and get closer to God? Would you do that this morning? That's right. Brother David's going to sing. While he sings, you obey God this morning.